Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mental Health and Emotional Intelligence. Ask me anything. I'm excited to be here, excited to just share with you guys. I have a few questions on deck, um, but what I want you to do is just post your questions in the comments. Um, you know, this is a live show, so if you have a question, you can just post it. I have some that have been sent to me um, anonymously that I will answer. However, if you have a question, anything about mental health or emotional intelligence, please submit it in the comments. Give me an opportunity to serve you. Give me an opportunity to really just answer questions and help you move forward with whatever obstacles you may have. And so before I, I jump into the first question, what I want to do is just take a minute to tell you about this special event that I'm having on Saturday, Saturday, March 12th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I am hosting a Cultivating Happiness Masterclass. And I'm really excited about it because really what I'm doing is just giving you the tools and techniques that you need to increase your happiness. It's that simple. So many people want to be happier, but they don't know how. They don't know what to do or how to do it. And when I break it down to you and I give you the why, the what, the how, you will realize that you can begin to implement these strategies immediately, right? And I'm not talking about these kinds of things where people will say, you know, how to instantly make $10,000 a week or how to instantly lose 35 pounds or something like that. I'm talking about your mental and emotional health. I'm talking about you being happier. Everyone around you, everyone that knows you and cares about you wants you to be happier, but they don't know how to make you happier. And you probably want to be happier as well. And so join my masterclass Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The link is scrolling across the bottom. Go there and register. It is free. It is live. There will be Q&A afterward. And I, I guarantee you, like 100% that you will learn something that you can implement immediately and increase your happiness right away. So if that interests you, if being happy interests you, then register for the masterclass on Saturday and I'll see you there. So without further ado, I want to jump into these questions because like I said, that's that's what this is all about. This Weekly Ask Me Anything is focused on your questions. What do you want? What are you struggling with? What can I help you with? How can I help you? And so I'm just going to jump right in. So these questions I have were sent to me from various places, various people, um, and I do not mention who they are, but I will tell you the first question is, can emotional intelligence help with alcohol abuse? I was... I was surprised when I got this question, but I was also I'm happy about it because we know that alcohol use is it's a problem, right? And some people can drink for fun, and that's okay because not everyone who consumes alcohol has an alcohol problem. Not everyone who drinks alcohol is an alcohol abuser. But there are a lot of people who are using alcohol to either attempt to heal or numb their pain, or maybe they're using it to I don't know, just to shut off or turn off or shut down um, to help them deal with grief or something else they're dealing with. And so then the alcohol becomes a problem. 
And there are certain things that you can do to help with that. You know, you can Google it, right? Whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or other kinds of things, um, therapy, counseling, different things, group sessions. But some people, some people want to figure it out on their own. So I will tell you, if you have an alcohol abuse problem, it is very helpful and important to go get professional help. But I'm still going to answer the question right now. So when we're talking about emotional intelligence, the first domain of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. And when self-awareness, when we talk about self-awareness in regards to alcohol abuse, there's certain things that you need to know about yourself to figure out kind of why you have an alcohol problem. And so you can tie self-awareness directly to recovering from alcohol use or misuse or abuse. Um, So when I talk about self-awareness, a couple of things I think about is digging deeper into your past. When did when did you first begin to have an alcohol problem? And so there's there's a couple of different events here. There's when did you first have an alcohol problem and when did you first realize you had an alcohol problem? Because more than likely you realized you had an alcohol problem several months after the problem developed. And so I want to know not just when you realized it, but when did the alcohol problem actually start? And when you think about when the alcohol problem started in your life, what I want you to do is think about what was going on in your life at that time. What were you feeling? What were your primary emotions? What were you dealing with? Because quite often people want to heal symptoms. So maybe the alcohol abuse is a symptom of another event that you have not healed from. So if something happened to you that really increased your alcohol consumption, go back and look at that. Have you healed from that trauma? Have you healed from that hurt? You know, a lot of times we think we got over something, but really you didn't get over the trauma. You just buried it. It's deep within you, but it's still there. It's still impacting you. And so sometimes you will experience something that triggers an emotion. And you have to really dig deep to understand the origins of some of these thoughts and emotions. Because by understanding the origin, you can identify what you need to heal from. And so to me, that's a big part of of using emotional intelligence to help with alcohol abuse is understanding when did the alcohol abuse start and why did it start? And when I say, why did it start? It's not just the event, not just what happened. It could have been anything, right? Something traumatic. It could have been a divorce. It could have been the loss of a family member, the loss of a job, but there were emotions attached to that. There was a mindset wrapped around that that led to the alcohol abuse because getting fired from a job doesn't call out, doesn't cause alcohol abuse. Plenty of people get fired and go find another job. Plenty of people are, you know, they go through a breakup or divorce and then they find someone else and they fall in love with someone else. It happens. And, but then there's also people who after those events fall into a deep depression, they're hurt, they're traumatized. So it's not just the event. But when we look back at that event, what was your mindset around it? 
How did you perceive that event? What were your emotions around it? So go back and heal from that. Go back and do the inner work, dive deep and figure out how that is impacting you today and how it's impacting your decisions around alcohol consumption. And another thing I want to look at with self-awareness and, you know, alcohol abuse, emotional intelligence is your state of mind when you are consuming the alcohol. So a lot of people will make it seem like all you have to do is put the beer down. All you have to do is put the drink down. But see, our brains aren't wired like that. Everything is not just a logical choice. Our decisions are more emotional than logical. So we have to address the underlying emotions. And when it comes to emotional intelligence, in addition to the self-awareness, we have the self-regulation, influencing your emotions. And so in order to do that, you have to understand and identify what emotions are you feeling when you reach for that drink. And what I want you to do is to think about what you feel in your body. What do you feel in your body? What I mean by that is literally, what do you feel? Do you feel anger? Do you feel anxiety? Do you feel your heart speeding up? Do you feel a shortness of breath? What do you feel? Is there a certain time of day where you're more likely to begin to abuse alcohol? So see, before you just go and decide I'm not going to drink anymore, if you're an alcohol abuser, that may seem impossible. But what you can do is get to know yourself better. Gather more information, more data about yourself. How do I feel when I'm drinking? What thoughts am I having? What emotions am I feeling? And then let's go back and influence those things. If you're usually feeling anxious, then what can we do to reduce that anxiety? If you're feeling worthless, what can we do to elevate your opinion of yourself? You see, a lot of people that are dealing with substance use disorders have a low opinion of themselves. They have low self-esteem. There's insecurity there. And so we're not just going to say stop drinking. We're going to figure out how do we how do we add value? How do you begin to recognize and understand your worth and your value? What do we have to do to get you to understand that you are strong enough? You do have the power. You do have the knowledge. You do have the intelligence. You see, so we have to dig deeper than just saying no to alcohol. And we have to move beyond judging ourselves. Because when you judge yourself negatively, what you end up doing is making yourself feel worse. And so if feeling bad leads you to consume alcohol, then judging yourself is going to lead you to drink more. And so what we want to do is to dig deep into the emotions and the mindset around the individual drinking events. What was your mindset before you had the first drink? How can we influence and impact that mindset? And so that's what I want you to do. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about two things. What event occurred that led you to begin having an alcohol issue? And what emotions and what thought patterns or what mindset surrounded that event? And also on the day-to-day basis, What do you feel in your body and what emotions do you experience? What thoughts do you have prior to taking that first drink? 
And then the last thing I want you to do is I want you to look at the days where you don't abuse alcohol. What is the difference in your mindset and your emotions and your thought patterns on those days compared to the days where you are drinking heavily? And then what can we do to replicate those non-alcohol abusive days? Um, so, you know, it comes to emotional intelligence and alcohol abuse. It's really about self-awareness, diving deep, digging deep into really the underlying causes of those negative, you know, alcohol-based behaviors. So that's what I want you to do. Dig deep. Do the research on yourself. You know, one thing that would be really helpful dealing with the, the current state of whatever you're going through is just to begin journaling. When you are feeling a certain way and you're about to reach for a drink, instead reach for a journal and write down, I feel like having a drink right now and I also feel like this. And write down your emotions and then write down why you feel that way. And so what I want you to do is if you go through all of that and you realize you get that, that greater information about your alcohol consumption or abuse and you realize that you actually want some more help, just reach out to me. Send me a DM. Contact me. You know, send me a DM or just put a comment somewhere. Let me reach out to you and we can really begin to work on this together. We can really begin to elevate your emotional intelligence, elevate your mindset, look at your habits, look at your perspectives, thoughts, beliefs, emotions. Take a big picture macro level view on your behaviors that contribute to your alcohol abuse. So reach out to me. Let me help you with that. You know, as the emotional intelligence coach, I will definitely teach you what you need to to begin to battle this. And in addition to that, one thing that happens when we dive deep is we sometimes we, we sometimes we gain clarity on the fact that you actually do need professional help. So there's lots of stay at home ways of accomplishing a lot of things in your life. And you have to be honest with yourself. Sometimes you have to recognize when something is not working. Whether it's a diet and you realize you need a nutritionist, whether it's gaining strength and you realize you need a personal trainer, maybe it's learning some skills that you've lost due to an injury and maybe you need a physical therapist or an occupational therapist. One thing that emotional intelligence enables us to do regarding alcohol abuse or any other issue you're going through is to recognize that sometimes we actually need real professional help. And so we don't judge ourselves we don't find ways to hold ourselves back. We have to understand that getting help is quite often the optimal, most effective way to transition to what you're enduring now, to living your best life. So the next question I have is, can you heal from depression? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. People heal from depression all the time. The issue that a lot of people have, those is they don't fully grasp the idea or the concept of healing from depression. So when I say healing from depression, I'm talking about you being in a happy state of mind. I'm talking about your happiness baseline. So when I speak on a happiness baseline, what I'm saying is there's a baseline, a, a range of zero to 10. And a zero is when you are as miserable or sad as you can possibly be. And a 10 is when you're as happy as you can possibly be. And a lot of people go through treatment for depression, but they don't actually heal. Um, I've heard things, concepts like high functioning depression, things like that. 
I'm talking about a cure, actually healing from depression. Yes, it is possible. Yes, emotional intelligence enables you to do that. Now, understand emotional intelligence is not the cure for depression. Don't take it that way. Elevating your emotional intelligence doesn't guarantee that you'll never be depressed again. But when I'm talking about healing from depression, going back to the happiness baseline, I'm talking about if you are generally, say, a two or a three, right? So zero is you're as miserable as you can be. Ten is you're as happy as you can possibly be. And you would rate yourself as a two to a three in that range. Sometimes treatment can get you to feeling like a four or a five temporarily, right? Um, between doses of certain medications. But what I'm talking about is really actually elevating your happiness baseline where you get to the point where you wake up in the morning, everything is exactly as you want it to be. And you would say that on a scale of zero to 10, your happiness is a six or a seven without the counseling, without the therapy, without the medication, because you don't need those anymore because you have healed from depression. And so what emotional intelligence empowers you to do in regards to depression, it empowers you to position yourself to heal. And what I mean by that is one thing that you can do is applying self-awareness to depression is recognizing how often are you feeling depressed? How extreme is your depression? What are your thoughts and emotions like while you're going through a depressive episode? You see, a lot of people are depressed a lot of time, but they do not meet the diagnostic criteria for a major depressive disorder or bipolar depressive disorder, right? They and they just have these bouts and feats. And so if they could just get a little help, maybe they can elevate their happiness baseline. And so with emotional intelligence, one thing that you can do is figure out why you're feeling this way. And, you know, it's it's similar to what I was saying about using emotional intelligence to help with alcohol abuse. Is when you're feeling certain emotions, why are you feeling that emotion? What happened prior to feeling that emotion? What were you feeling an hour before? How long does the depressive episode last? And you can journal those things. You can get that data and review it. You can look at your journal and say, when I begin to feel down, I usually stay down. I usually stay depressed for two or three days at a time. You can look at your activities. What do you do when you're depressed? Because maybe some of the things that you do when you're feeling depressed make you feel worse. And so maybe you should stop, but you don't recognize that, right? Because your depression has momentum, it has inertia. And so you want to stay in that place until it subsides. But really you can, you can make choices and decisions to take different actions, different behaviors to lift yourself out of depression sooner. When I say lifting yourself out of depression, I'm not talking about healing major depressive disorder on a Thursday night. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you're in the middle of a depressive episode and you've been in it for a couple hours and you want to feel better, journaling enables you to look at what you've done that made you feel worse. It also enables you to look at what you could do to make yourself feel better. Um, so I have a question here from, um, so just so that you guys know, I'm I'm looking at my StreamYard. Um, I use StreamYard. And so I'm looking at my studio. So I don't see the name of the person. I don't see the name of people who comment. I see Facebook user. So it says, would you agree that a person could heal from depression without medication? Yes, you can heal from depression without medication. And yes, it happens all the time. 
Emotional intelligence empowers you to heal without medication. Um, so again, you, you begin to recognize what you're feeling, why you're feeling that way, how you express and experience those emotions. And that is self-awareness. When I say those emotions, I'm talking specifically about depression at this time. How do you experience depression? How do you express it? How do you behave when you're feeling depressed? How often do you feel depressed? You need to gather this information about yourself. That's the emotional intelligence part to recognize, understand, identify what you are going through, what you're experiencing and why. Maybe there's a couple triggers. Like maybe you recognize that when you're around this location or these kinds of commercials come up, things like that, it reminds you of something from your past and it triggers you. Knowing that information puts you in position to do something about it, you know, and I'll give you an example from my life is when there are certain things that I see in movies sometimes where someone is afraid of losing someone or they have lost someone. And there is very intense grief during that movie or show. Well, that reminds me of when I lost my mother. And so. I know how to handle that within myself, whether it's to just keep watching it because it's it doesn't last long or maybe the way I'm feeling in the moment, I need to turn it off. Um, so, yeah, emotional intelligence enables you to understand yourself better and then you can understand what you can do about those emotions. How do you influence those emotions? And that is the self-regulation aspect. And I say self-regulation as opposed to emotional regulation because your emotions are physiological. There's a physiological response when you're feeling depression in regards to how much dopamine and serotonin is released or not released. In regards to the way that you sit, the way that you stand, the tone of your voice, the expression on your face, your heart rate and your breathing are all impacted by your emotions. And they can all also drive your emotions. And so when you recognize that it's physiological, then you can begin to recognize things that you can do to counteract the depression. And so a couple of examples that have worked for a lot of people in their healing journey, you know, back to that question, these things have helped people heal from major depression without medication or things like yoga and Tai Chi. A couple of examples, um, getting yourself involved in some kind of a project with a goal where you can really be proud of yourself, whether it's training for a marathon. I have a friend um, Anne-Marie Du Laban, and she is absolutely amazing. She suffered a tragedy, um, something very traumatic. And the way that she healed was she challenged herself to grow. And she went and did an Ironman. If you guys don't know what an Ironman is, I think it's two and a half miles of swimming, 112 miles of riding a bike, and then a marathon to end the event. Self-awareness enabled her to see what path she needed to take to heal, and it can do the same for you. So start there, and as you elevate your self-awareness, you begin to realize how happy or miserable you are. You can empower yourself to recognize, should you get professional help, or can you work through this on your own? Um, pay attention to how often you feel it, what triggers those depressive states, and then what brings you out of it. And a big part of bringing you out of it, honestly, is spending more time doing what you love with people you love than includes 
doing something that has meaning to you and gives you a sense of accomplishment. So there's a lot of things that you can do to elevate your happiness. Um, and again, you know, I will cover that on Saturday at the Cultivating Happiness Masterclass. Um, you see the link to sign up for that is scrolling across the bottom. Um, but yeah, when it comes to depression, yes, you can heal from depression. I'm not talking about remaining in a continuous state of periodic therapy and medications. I'm talking about, yes, you can get to a point where you no longer need the medication or you no longer need the therapy and you are happy. It is possible. It is a goal worth striving for. It is something that you can achieve. And I say go for it. And if you need help, let me know, but we can get there. Um, but yes, you can heal from depression. Definitely. So I have one more question um, that was asked of me. And of course, anyone watching, you can drop your questions in the comments. I'll answer them as well. Um, and if not, this will be my last question. But it's actually not a question. Someone posted this and I'm going to turn this into a question. So what they posted was EI and controlling behavior. And so I take that to mean... I don't know, like in a sense of, you know, emotional intelligence, how can emotional intelligence impact people with controlling or possessive behaviors, things like that. So what, what I really want to do is talk about, first of all, the controlling behaviors, and I'm assuming this person meant in relationships. Um, a lot of people who are controlling in relationships or they feel a need to always be like the overseers, they need to be in control. They're very possessive. A lot of these people, um, you know, honestly, they need to heal from something. They've been hurt. They need to heal. They need to recover. But in the moment, they're not thinking about what they experienced before. A lot of times what they've experienced in the past has led them to um, certain perspectives of themselves involving things like insecurity. Uh, for some, it's narcissism. It could be a lack of self-esteem, uh, an overwhelming fear of abandonment. Maybe they have attachment issues. So a lot of people who are looking for control or power are doing so out of a sense of scarcity. Um, I see someone there, another Facebook user asked, what are the symptoms of post-traumatic stress? I will, that's a different, a whole different topic, and I will definitely answer that. I'm going to get through this one about controlling behavior, then I will answer that one. Thank you so much for asking that. Um, so when people are, are controlling or they're attempting to gain more power or something like that, again, there are many different issues they may be dealing with, such as insecurity, low self-esteem, narcissism, attachment or abandonment issues. And a lot of that's where the self-awareness comes in, looking at why do you feel that way? What is it that they need to heal from? And I have to tell you, one thing that's very difficult for people to do, and they need to understand this in their relationships, it's very difficult for you to change your partner. You can have all the emotional intelligence in the world. You can be a psychotherapist. You can be a healer. You can be all of those things. But that doesn't mean that you can change your partner. If those things are overwhelming, if the controlling behaviors are somewhere between controlling and toxic and abusive, you may need to leave the relationship. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. Um, or maybe that person needs to get professional help. 
to deal with their specific issues. A lot of times what happens is we find these quick fixes, right? Let me go read a book. Let me go listen to a podcast. And that's very helpful for some people, but for others, it's not. And so maybe you can find a book for your partner. You can find a podcast for them to listen to. You can offer them help. But a lot of these people that are controlling are scary also. And so maybe you have a conversation when they're not being scary about them getting help. You can try to build a connection so that they understand why you're having this conversation. And honestly, the best the best solution for you might be to leave the relationship. Um, but I will tell you that emotional intelligence can provide the foundation for overcoming the controlling behaviors and overcoming the insecurity, the low self-esteem, attachment, the abandonment issues that people go through. Because people don't wake up randomly and just decide, today, I think I need more control. No, it stems from somewhere. Maybe it stems from a lack of control in another area of their lives. And so you really have to just kind of dig deep and figure that out, figure out the why, figure out what can be done with it, figure out what are they open to trying. And then you guys can work on that together. You can dig through that. Um, again, feel free to reach out to me to um, have more discussion about this. If you'd like some one-on-one -on -one consultation, let me know. If you look in my um, bio on Facebook as well as on LinkedIn, you can see where you can just click to get a free consultation with me. But if you're dealing with a relationship that's control issues or or power issues, you know, you don't want to just continue to live in that toxic environment. You deserve better. You deserve to be happy. And so now is the right time to do something about it. So there's another question here. What are the symptoms of post-traumatic stress? I want to answer that, first of all, by saying that there's a difference between post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Because there's a lot of people who may have symptoms of post-traumatic stress, but post-traumatic stress disorder diagnoses meet criteria outlined in the DSM-5, and that's the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, 5th edition. And what happens is you will go see a psychologist, therapist, licensed professional who can run a diagnostic test on you, which is usually a, a self-report survey. How often do you experience this? How often do you experience that? Um, and then if you meet all of the criteria, you can be diagnosed with PTSD. However, there are people who do not meet the criteria, but they do suffer from post-traumatic stress. And some of the things that I've seen most often are avoidant behaviors um, and triggering um, behaviors. And, and when I say avoidant behaviors, I mean, for example, um, I'll give you an example from my life. And I will say that this was not you know, some extreme trauma. I got in a car accident. Simple as that. I got in a car accident. Um, I think it was in 2011. And so I avoided driving for a little while. That's an avoidant behavior. That is a that is a stress response or right? a post-traumatic stress response. Um, in the accident that I was in, nobody died. There were no extreme injuries. And so I got back to driving. I had to go to work and those kinds of things. But there are also people who um, are in tragic accidents. And so they have a phobia. They develop an extreme fear of driving. And so what they do is they find other means. Maybe they sell their car. Maybe they 
um, decide to find other ways, get a bicycle, or they just walk everywhere, or maybe it's extreme and they don't leave the house anymore, causing them to lose their jobs, to lose friendships. You know, so avoidant behaviors can be extreme. Um, another thing is hypervigilance, you know, and hypervigilance is where people are triggered easy. Um, maybe they are always looking out for something, right? They come up with, with scenarios in their head where there's always a threat somewhere. Uh, and I'll give you an example where I was in this class when I was, I was in the military, I was in the air force and we went to this class. It was called, um, NCO Academy, Non-Commissioned Officers Academy. And I was at this location where they also tested fighter jets. And so when they see the fighter jet, well, they, they repaired the fighter jets. And so when they are done repairing the fighter jets, they need to really test it out, right? Just like test driving a car. And so one of the things that they'll do is in supersonic jets, they will try to go supersonic, right? And so it will cause a sonic boom. And so a lot of people think that's cool, right? And you can look it up on YouTube, Google it, whatever, Sonic Boom. Oh, that's so cool, so on and so on. And while we were in class one day, uh, Fighter Jet did that. And this was not an everyday thing. Um, sometimes we heard it, sometimes we didn't. But this is the only time that we actually heard it in class. And as quick as the Sonic Boom came, one of our classmates was in the fetal position under the table. The loud boom triggered him. Some people were like, what is that? Some people were like, oh, man, that was so cool. I wanted to hear that. Before you could blink, before you can think, before you can have an idea, this individual was in a fetal position under the table. That's a post-traumatic stress response. So there's hypervigilance is, you know, always looking around, always vigilant for something, often non-existent threats. There's... um. There's hypervigilance, there is avoidant behaviors, there's also um, being easily triggered. Um, I think sometimes known as hyper arousal, right? And that's the example I just gave where this individual jumped under the table. Um, so it's really behaviors that are not, that you would say are not normal and they're based on the trauma. And you can be dealing with some of these without actually being, you know, without actually meeting criteria for PTSD diagnosis. Um, quite often what a lot of people are able to do is that they're able to hide their post-traumatic stress um, behaviors and responses through other activities. And when I say other activities, I'm talking about things like extreme working out, um, drinking, substance use disorders, alcohol use disorders. Um, they can do things like put up a, a wall so they don't allow anyone to get close to them, right? They have a hard time in interpersonal relationships. They have a hard time maintaining friendships. Um, and this could be due to being betrayed by someone, or this can be due to maybe losing a friend during an accident, right? This happens, this happened a lot in the military where um there's a period of time where we had a lot of members who were getting hit by IEDs and so on and, and losing close friends. And so they had a hard time making new ones. So these are all post-traumatic stress symptoms that people experience. And some people may experience one or two. Some people may experience four or five of these symptoms. And then they try to hide them. They try to suppress them or cover them up in unhealthy ways. Um, and so one thing you got to look out for is if someone is dealing with 
something like this, is it harmful? And what I mean is harmful, I'm talking about, you know, going back to alcohol use really is the main thing. Is it harmful? Are they drinking too much? Has their drinking become a problem? Are they doing something else like self-harm, right? Like cutting. Um, are they using over-the-counter drugs too often? When I say over-the-counter, I'm talking about caffeine pills first thing in the morning, sleeping pills every night. And they're unable to function without these over-the-counter you know, medications or drugs. So all of these behaviors are used by people to mask their post-traumatic stress. And so quite often you might not realize that someone is dealing with post-traumatic stress, but you see these behaviors and emotional intelligence, part of emotional intelligence, the third domain actually is social awareness that includes empathy, getting to know people, build real relationships and figure out why is this person like that? What do they need to heal from and how can I help? And so those are just some of the examples. I hope that answered your question. If not, you can ask another question or you can just send me a DM. We can connect in different ways, but there's there's lots of different symptoms. Um, and I'm just going to go over it again real quick. Again, hypervigilance, hyperarousal, um, avoidant behaviors. So we're talking about you, you know, always on guard. You're really vigilant for a threat that, you know, predominantly doesn't exist or the hyper arousal, you're triggered very easily. Quite often it's it's loud noises, things like that. Um, for example, someone that's been in a car accident may freak out when they hear a loud car horn, whereas for you, maybe that's normal. You hear cars honking all the time. Um, avoidant behaviors, whether it's avoiding a location, avoiding an event, something like that. Um, avoidant behaviors are often masked. It's people, they just say, no, thanks. I don't want to go there. I'm not down with that. I don't like those kinds of things. In reality, maybe something bad happened at a venue similar to that. Um, and then there's things that people will do to maybe try to overcome their post-traumatic stress that is harmful, whether it's cutting, substance use or abuse disorders, alcohol use disorders, or being extreme in something else, right? Such as always cleaning the house, always working out, an extreme diet, something like that. Extreme views about themselves, such as being so great and amazing or being not good enough. And a lot of these behaviors co-occur with other mental health issues, such as depression, anxiety, and OCD. Um, so when you're dealing with someone that has post-traumatic stress, or if you are dealing with post-traumatic stress, pay attention to all of these, right? And in regards to emotional intelligence, a big part of it is the social awareness and the relationship management, building real relationships so that you can recognize harmful behaviors in others. And then you can know the person well enough and have established a strong enough relationship that you're comfortable approaching them about whatever they're going through. And that's, that's very important that you are authentic and available with your help for others and also that you are aware of your own behaviors in case you're the one dealing with post-traumatic stress. You understand what it looks like. You can understand how your behaviors have changed since prior to the trauma. Are you doing things that are harmful to yourself? Do you need to get professional help? Things like that. Because the truth is you don't need a PTSD diagnosis to get coaching, counseling, or therapy for post-traumatic stress. So there's lots of people available to help. I'm one of them. 
maybe also in your community, maybe you know people. So if you're dealing with that, you know, please get help if you need to. Use your emotional intelligence skills, self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy to figure out if you need help, if you have a problem, if someone that you love and care about has a problem as well. So at this time, those are all the questions that I have. Um, I don't see anyone else asking any other questions. I really appreciate you guys being here, whether you're watching live or watching the replay. I'm grateful for the questions that were asked. And again, before I go, I just want to tell you again about my Cultivating Happiness Masterclass this Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern. The link to register is scrolling across the bottom. It's um, scrolling right there. You know, bit.ly forward slash choose to be happy. I'm going to give you the skills you need to elevate your happiness immediately. So with that said, thank you again. I appreciate all of you so much. And until next time, next Tuesday, I'll be back. Thank you very much. I appreciate you.